In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Let's pray. Jesus, the Christ, our Messiah, our King. All things in the heavens and all things on the earth are and will be summed up in you. Your dominion is an everlasting dominion. Your kingdom endures from generation to generation. It will have no end. Though present today in fullness yet to come, when a loud voice in heaven says, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Amen. There is not a primary text that we will be turning to this morning, but a series of passages and the overarching idea that the scriptures teach us concerning the storyline of the Bible. And I believe that the storyline of the Bible is twofold in nature. It tells us about the person of God, and then it tells us about the purpose of God. And my desire this morning is that we would, as it were, get this panoramic view of scripture. We are celebrating Advent. It is a series of Sundays, and I pray that we will place ourselves in that context and we would allow that idea to dominate our thinking. 
But as we consider the Bible, the Bible is the unfolding of God's purpose. The scripture that you and I have in our hands is the unfolding of God's purpose and person, both for creation in general and for his people in particular. And it is my prayer that over the next eight weeks, we would begin to understand the story of scripture. Our attempt will be to view the Bible from a panoramic perspective. It will be to gather the largest wide-angle representation possible of who God is and what he is doing and where this leads us as subjects under his rule. Our subject matter is provoked by the onset of Advent. As Pastor Caleb mentioned, the word Advent means coming. Jesus Christ has come. He is with us today, and he is coming again. Over the last several months, we have been considering the Gospel of Mark. Mark is an intentional part of the Bible's story. Sometimes we read the Bible as if it were not a story or if a story is poorly written. I have read many books over the years, and all the good ones have a single plot with many different subplots contributing to the one story. Recently, I have just finished, actually I have 100 pages left, in the book Shogun by James Clavell. Shogun tells the story of feudal Japan in the 1500s when the Europeans were beginning to establish their presence in Japan. It talks about various characters, Toranaga, Ishido, Blackthorn, and Meraki. All of these individuals are characters inside of one story. And if you've read Shogun, there are many parts to the story, but there's only one story. And all the various parts play to that one story. Most of us have read The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Most of us have seen the movie. It's a very, very, very long movie. And oftentimes inside the movie, you have all these various subplots and stories inside the story. But there's only one story. We have in our hands the Bible. The Bible is composed of various parts, various stories. But there's only one story. And the story is telling us about the person of God, who he is, and the purpose of God, what he has done. If you and I are capable of processing that big idea, then as we look at the various parts, they will begin to hopefully make sense. As we live our lives we will see that our lives are a part of this one story. But think with me through the big picture. The big idea, the big parts of the story. In the beginning, chapter 1, God existed. He exists before the story. God is the author of the story. He wrote the story. Everything that happens in Scripture is a part of who he is And what he is doing. We know that God created all things. He created in six days, rested on the seventh. There is nothing that exists that God did not create. We know who the primary character is in the story. It is God. God does rule over all things. And all things are in subject to him. We know that there are Secondary characters inside the story. You and I. Humanity is a part of the story. But we are of a secondary nature. God is the primary character. 
There are, in a sense, four chapters in this story as we have it in the Bible. We have the preparation in type or shadow from Genesis through Malachi. We have creation. We have fall. We have redemption. We have recreation. We have the arrival in anti-type or in substance, Jesus Christ in the Gospels. That is what we are addressing over the next several weeks. We have a continuation by means of gathering from Acts to Jude. The kingdom expands. Citizens are gathered. And we have continuation by means of consummation, the book of Revelation. You have two parts, eternal fellowship or eternal separation. But all of this is a part of the one story. What I will argue is that all the Bible tells this one story. From start to finish and everything in between, it is one story. There is no part that is not contributing to this story. I do not believe anything in any part of life falls outside of this one story. Sometimes we look at general revelation and we say, well, the heavens declare the what? The glory of God. We know that biblical revelation talks about the person and purpose of God. But what about me? What about my family? Is that a part of the story? And the answer is absolutely. It is always about who God is. It is always about what he has done and who his people are in him. That is the story of scripture. Because I believe that you and I are a part of this story, I do not believe any of life is wasted. And that somehow all of life has meaning to the story, no matter how delightful or damaging, no matter how pleasurable or painful, no matter how scheduled or surprising. All of life is a part of this one story, the story that God is telling about his person and about his purpose. I do not believe it is only creation in general or biblical revelation in particular that tells this story. I believe each of our lives in all of its facets, whether religious or routine, is a part of this story and is telling this story. So as we consider the storyline of Scripture, you and I are a part of this story. Now, one of the things that we are fighting against is a brush pile approach to the study. There are multiple parts, various subplots that could distract us from the one story or that somehow could take us away from thinking of this one story. And our attempt during the next several weeks to, will be to keep this in an orderly and logical fashion. We're going to begin with a short statement in the Westminster Confession. The question is asked, what is the chief end of man? The response is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God has created all things for his glory. And I'll revisit this in just a moment. But God created everything for his glory in that we see the power of God. Inside of creation, we have transgression. But even the transgression is for the glory of God. In that, we see the mystery of God. Then we have redemption. Redemption is for the glory of God. In that, we see the grace of God. 
And then we have condemnation. Some will spend an eternity enjoying the fellowship of God. Some will spend an eternity separated from God. But even in that condemnation, it is for the glory of God because in it we see the justice of God. Everything exists. The story is about the person and purpose of God. It is for his glory. And many of us have grown up in Christian homes and we are familiar with the stories of the Bible, the creation of all things by God, the fall of mankind into sin, the flood of Noah, the defeat of Goliath, the birth of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. We have all of the pieces. Although we know the pieces, it is seldom when the various pieces are placed in their proper order or theological context. We seldom see the connection between the stories. We have that picture with all the dots and the dots have numbers and we don't really know what it looks like until we start connecting the dots. But what I'm hoping to do is over the next several weeks is take all of the dots that all of us know of all the subplots and put them together in a very manageable manner. And I know this is a monumental task for me as an individual, but to put the pieces together in order that we might see the big picture. What is the story of scripture? God created all things for his glory. We have transgression. There is sin in the world. But it it somehow is for his glory. He redeems people for his glory. Others are eternally separated from his presence for his glory. How does this work? What is to be my response in all of this? But there is a connectiveness to Scripture, and it is our desire as his people to understand what the story is. I find the next thought very fascinating, and it's something that I have learned through the years, and perhaps you already know this. And if not, I I truly pray that you would be so impressed as to begin to understand that the stories of the Bible, that which we have written, are not randomly selected. When we read Mark's Gospel or the letters of Paul, or the book of Revelation. These letters, these books are not randomly selected. They are placed inside the Bible for a very distinct purpose. They are telling us the story of God. Each one is intentionally placed. Each story contributes to two primary ideas. They are telling us about the person of God, who he is, And the purpose of God, what he has done. The scripture does not record everything. And I found this so fascinating. The scripture does not record everything knowable, only what we need to know. We know that the scripture does not contain everything knowable because we are finite beings trying to understand the infinite. And there is mystery to who God is and what he has done. And we cannot fully comprehend the mystery. But what we have is necessary for us to understand who God is and what he has done. And thus the scripture does not record everything knowable, only what we need to know. And each of the pieces are for the purpose of moving the story forward. What the Bible says is true, yet it does not speak exhaustively on any subject You and I would be simply overwhelmed. We can hardly manage what we have. And it is but the hem of his garment. It is but the whisper of his voice. And thus what we have in scripture has been 
carefully placed there by the Holy Spirit in order that we might come to understand the story of Scripture. And that story focuses on two primary ideas, the person of God, who he is, and the purpose of God, what he has done. We had several passages of Scripture read this morning, and I appreciate the reading. And I love reading the Scripture and seeing how the various pieces are placed and how they paint for us this fuller picture. And the passages this morning noted how God created everything, Genesis 1.1, and how everything that God created was very good, Genesis 1.31. And then how the idea of God as creator is unfolded in the scripture in the imagery of a kingdom. God has established himself as creator king. And as creator king, all things created are under his rule. Everything, everywhere, at all times, bow to him. Because of who he is and because of what he does, he is to receive glory. All of it just radiates his majesty, his sovereignty. All that is, is for him. All that is, is through him. All that is, is from him. There is nothing outside of him that does not fulfill this end. When considering the story of the Bible, it must be noted that the language of Scripture is indeed couched in this idea of kingdom truth. And we have seen it in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, The time is at hand, it has been fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel. I find this thought interesting because my desire today is that we would see that there is a singular idea inside the Bible. God, as author, wrote one story. That story has various subplots, various ideas, but every subplot, every idea contributes to this one thing, the person and purpose of God. And yet sometimes we read the Bible and we read it as if it has various parts and that somehow the parts are not connected but god does not have various programs god has but one program he is creator and everything outside of him is created and as creator everything outside of him is subject to his rule for me personally i say hearty amen and hallelujah i gladly embrace the fact that God is creator, that God is king. He has only one program. And although we look at life and we, it appears as if everything is in chaos and disorder, God has one program. Everything that happens is directly or indirectly connected to this one program. The purpose of God and the program of God and the parts that we read of are neither disconnected nor in conflict. We somehow read the various pieces and we see the unfolding of this drama and the failure to understand the mystery and we think, well, somehow it just doesn't make sense. And from our vantage point, it might not make sense. But that is what we embrace by faith. Believing that all of the parts and all of their expressions are connected and not in conflict. I think one of the big ideas that you and I must lay hold of as we consider the unfolding of this story concerning the person and purpose of God is this. 
that the centerpiece to all of this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And somewhere along the line, you knew we would have to come to this. The storyline equals Christ. Christ is going to be a focal point of the story. I think one of the tragedies that we have today is that we have made the Bible into a series of independent and unconnected stories that can stand alone and in so doing have unknowingly divided the very body of Christ. But if I were to ask you the question, how many stories are there in the Bible? I would hope that this morning when you leave, you would say there is but one story. Are there various chapters? Are there various subplots? Are there various movements? Are there various characters? Most assuredly, yes. But every single one of the parts is playing to the one story. And that one story celebrates the person of God and the purpose of God. That all things outside of him give him glory. And all things outside of him are in subjection to him. God is the ruler. Now let us consider three ideas as we look at, as it were, the foundation or the front porch to this house. Here are the initial basic component parts of the story. And this story is being told even today. It is being unfolded in each of our individual lives. The story of God. But let me simply cite the passages. I'll read the passages for you. Uh, they are numerous. But I want us to simply hear and in hearing feel the weight of what's being said. As we look at the story of Scripture. The first is this, and we'll simply note the big idea before we break down the various parts. But first, God is the creator of all things outside himself. God is the creator of all things outside himself. I remember as a small child, I was raised in a religious home, and I remember asking my mother the question, what was before God? You know, like, I used to think, well, here's God, and what was like right there? What was right there? God. (laughs) And I'm thinking, what was before God? I remember as a small child asking my mother the question, what was before God? What was before God? God. God was God. He's always been. Can we fully comprehend or understand that idea? No. But by faith, we believe that God has always been. God is not created. But God, as creator, has created all things outside himself. What is creation? Creation is simply everything outside of who he is. But the scriptures declare God as God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who created the heavens and the earth? God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. By him, by him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is the creator of all things outside himself. That's the beginning of the story. God is the creator. God has created everything. He is the creator. That is his 
position. That is his role. That is his function. This is his status. He is the creator and everything outside of him is created. He may do. And because this is true, he may do what he wants with what is his. And when he does it, he is always right. He owns everything. He created everything. And everything outside of him is in subjection to him. The second big idea is that everything inside of creation is for him. Everything inside of creation is for him. Romans chapter 11 verse 36. From him and through him and to him are all things. Nothing exists that did not come from him. And he sustains everything everywhere at all times. And everything everywhere at all times is for him. Is there anything outside of himself that is not for him? The answer is no. Everything is for him. Everything. That means us. That means the religious and the routine. The delightful and the depressing. The pleasurable and the painful. The scheduled and the surprising. All of it is for him. In everything, God gets the glory. This is the story of Scripture. Why do we have what we have? It is simply for Him. It is from Him, through Him, and for Him. Psalm 19.1 emphatically notes how all of creation gives Him glory. All of creation gives Him glory. I don't know how often we pause and simply see what is before us. And I appreciate the emphasis that Pastor Caleb has placed on Advent. Let us slow down our lives. I mean, is it possible? Let us slow down our lives and simply stop and see what is around us. To go out in the middle of your yard and lay on your back and simply look up in the sky. I remember as a small child, I grew up in a neighborhood much like our neighborhoods in the Waukesha community. And I would lie on the front lawn and simply look up at the sky and look at the clouds and imagine various animal shapes. And somehow we got busy and stopped doing that. And you might look a little weird if you're lying in your front lawn looking up at the sky as an adult, but go in your backyard. Just stop. Sit around the campfire. That's one good thing about camping is that it puts you back And it slows you down and you just sort of see things. But have you noticed the context in which you live? And you think, man, I don't want to notice it. It's crazy. No, stop. All of that is from him, through him, and for him. Stop and simply see it as a reflection of him. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 The text reads as follows. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an economy and administration that is suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. Everything, everywhere, at all times is from him, through him, and for him. That means you and me in this life where we are at. It is for him. God is the creator of all things outside himself. 
That's the story of Scripture. God created it. And everything outside of him, he has created. Everything inside of creation is for him. And the third idea this morning as we lay this broad foundation, as we get this panoramic view, is that everything inside of creation will ultimately glorify him. Everything will ultimately glorify him. This includes the fall of all, the salvation of some, and the condemnation of others. All of this is the unfolding of a story. And all of these various subplots are a part of this one story. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 reads as follows. Two great chapters. Pastor Caleb has preached on these chapters before. But in chapter 4 verse 11 it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And because of your will they existed and were created. From him, through him, for him are all things. Three Initial thoughts. First, the fall of all is for his glory. That is a mystery that you and I cannot fully process or comprehend or even explore. But somehow in the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't a hiccup. It was a part of something that God had purposed, God had planned. I cannot explain that. I simply accept it by faith. Mankind chose to rebel against God. By rejecting his expressed will, God said, do not eat, and man ate. Mankind chose to rebel against God by rejecting his expressed will, and yet in the choice, somehow the purpose of God was being carried out. For me, for us, for the text, it is a mystery. The second thing, as we consider this idea that everything inside of creation will ultimately glorify him. Not only the fall of all is for his glory, but the salvation of some is for his glory. God, from the mass of humanity, has chosen to save some. With the rebellion of the creature against their creator, a question arises. How can our previous fellowship with God be restored? What must I do to be delivered from this condition? This is a dark dilemma and one that is incapable of being fixed by mankind. And it's part of the story of Scripture. The transgression, the fall of all is a part of the story. And the salvation of some is part of the story. God's choice to redeem his people presupposes a fall by them from him. Redemption happens because debt exists. The same is true of all salvific terms, such as justification, reconciliation, fellowship, and propitiation. The need for justification presupposes a standing that is unrighteous. I find myself in an unrighteous state. God's response, justification. I find myself in a position of hostility toward God. God's response, reconciliation. I find myself in a position of separation. God's response, fellowship. I find myself as the object of his wrath, of his anger. God's response, propitiation. This is what God does. He saves people from their sin. And I note here the salvation of some is for his glory. 
unless we are universalists, which I do not believe any of us in this auditorium are, which simply means that everyone everywhere at all times will ultimately be saved. We are not universalists. And because we are not universalists, we believe that only a percentage of humanity will be saved. What is that percentage? I have no idea. But all of us understand that not everyone will be saved. Those who are saved are for his glory. Something is limiting the application of God's work on the cross. My interest in this area is significant, but my intent this morning is to simply note how the salvation of some is for his glory. The fall of all is for his glory. This is part of that story that we will be considering. The salvation of some is for his glory, and then the condemnation of others is for his glory. Again, there are mysteries in this, but everything created and divinely revealed unfolds the person and purpose of God. So as we go about reading our Bibles and we read the various stories, we read Second Chronicles, we consider the genealogies, what is the purpose of the genealogy? The purpose of the genealogy is to explore the person of God. The purpose of that genealogy is to explore the purpose of God. It is a piece of a larger picture. And all of it is for his glory. I do not know or understand how in the justice of God, when some will be eternally separated from his presence, I do not know or understand how in the justice of God against the rebel, that this will somehow bring him glory. But it does. All of scripture affirms God as creator. Scripture speaks of a fall into sin, the salvation of some, and the condemnation of others. This is the storyline of Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, recreation. When we look at the storyline of Scripture as the primary character being God and the person of Christ manifested in the flesh, but creation is for His glory. It is from Him, through Him, for Him. Creation declares the power of God. Transgression is for his glory. Somehow there is this fall. Therein lies the mystery of God. Redemption is for his glory. Therein lies the grace of God. Why he would save us is beyond human comprehension. And condemnation is for his glory. Therein lies the justice of God. Here we have the storyline of the Bible. God has created. Everything outside of him is created. He is the creator. And all things outside of him are in subjection to him. And as we look at how God tells this story, you have creation, transgression, redemption, condemnation. God is receiving glory. Nothing Existing today is outside of his person and purpose. Nothing. Consider who you are. Consider where you're at. Is who you are as an individual and where you are at in life a part of this one story? Sometimes it doesn't appear as if it is true. Sometimes we think that somehow God has overlooked us. He has bypassed us. That somehow who I am and where I am at 
is not contributing to the overarching purpose of God. But let me assure you today that you, you, where you are at, is a part of this one story. You are a part of the story of God. And your life exists to bring him glory. Do not believe for one second that you are outside of his control or that you are outside of his care. God is for you. We look at our lives and the condition of our nation, our economy. This is a part of God's story. Our responsibility, our act in this moment is to affirm him as creator and as in control. May God enable us today to see him as creator. May God enable us to see him as in control. God is in control and your life is unfolding for his glory. Each part, each act is a part of one unbroken story. And God, God is the author. God is the subject. God is the editor and he is the printer of the storyline. And may we as his people embrace that by faith. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, I pray this for myself and for your people, that we during this season would focus our energy on the person and purpose of God. That we would do what is necessary to pull away from the distractions, to simplify, to meditate on these truths that you have a story and we are a part of that story. And we are here for your glory. We are from you, we are through you, we are for you. God, I pray for those today who find themselves pulled in multiple directions, who are coming apart, as it were, at the seams. I pray that you would visit them with strength and power and that you would cause them to see that they are a part of your story. And Father, we are thankful for the hope that we have that is in Christ Jesus. I pray for all those who live with chronic conditions who are right now in the crucible of pain and suffering. God, help them to see the story. I pray for us who have degrees of comfort and convenience. May we not be distracted and swallowed up by these things, but may we see these things as part of the one story of God. Father, I thank you for this time that we could spend as your people. Just as we have now been called to worship, we are being sent out to carry who you are into a world that lies in darkness. Cause us to shine. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.